Welcome, everyone, to episode 68 of Some Like It, Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton. On this week's episode of the podcast, we are reviewing our second and probably final Netflix film of the year. I don't think we're going to get around to two popes, uh, but, and that is Noah Baumbach's potentially misnamed marriage story. Before we get to that, though, with me, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Scott. I had a uh, nice vacation, uh, relaxing time back in in Tennessee for about 10 days. Now I'm back here in North Carolina just for this week, got an exam to take care of, and then I'll be uh, done for the semester. So um, looking forward to being done and looking forward to catching some more movies. I was able to see several, a couple of movies while I was back in Chattanooga um, and a couple of movies that are currently in my top 10 list for the year. Not going to spoil what those were um, because we'll have our top 10 list coming up at the end of the month. But um, I caught up with a couple of movies that I was very, very happy to uh, to catch up with because they were they're excellent. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to talking about them in the future. Um, like marriage story that we're going to talk about today in the future, as in a couple of minutes from now. Yeah, uh, no, well, no, I, I was not alluding to marriage story. There were no, other other movies as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, you, I mean, I think we've both been on a bit of a tear just for. I mean, really, even since the last time we recorded, because the last time we recorded was, you know, a little bit before, uh, I guess. Yeah. yeah, it was. A, I don't even remember the last time we recorded now that I'm thinking about it. But uh, we've seen a bunch of movies since then, like this this past week. Definitely since the last time we recorded, I've seen Queen and Slim, Waves, you know, Dark Waters and The Report. And I, I'd already seen Marriage Story at the time of our last recording. But there's a lot going on. I've got a lot of movies I'm trying to see this week. Uh, getting to do something really cool tonight, seeing a, a pre-screening of Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler and the Safdie brothers uh, doing a Q&A afterwards here at the new Arclight Theater that just opened up in Boston, which is really cool. Hoping to have a lot more stuff like that in the future. But yeah, it's that time of year. And uh, we were just talking about also right before we uh, went live about how we're both you know already past or way past the number of movies we saw. Uh, not only this time last year, but by the, final t- the time the final tally. Uh, added up and yeah. we're saying that's because there's just a lot of absolutely fantastic movies worth seeing out this year uh, it's yeah really... the 2019 has really rallied um after a little bit of a slow start and uh this top 10 list is going to be pretty hard to make the top 20 is going to be pretty hard to make honestly because there's so many movies i want to cram in there yeah absolutely i mean i was i was looking at my top 20 because you know i saw some movies start to creep out of my top 10 you know a couple weeks ago when i really started to crank through a bunch of movies especially some of those more wars considerations movies and looking at top 20 you know, a week ago, I said my top 16 were all like apps. I would say even are absolutely must sees. And, you know, that number now is up to the, my top 18 or must sees. Yeah. And I don't think that's going to change as we have, you know, some of what are, some are saying some of the best movies of the year still to come. Um, so it's, it's pretty wild. So, so there you go. Casual movie goer. You only have 20 movies or so that are must sees from 2019. Only 20. Well, yeah. And, I mean, and also the fact that so many of them are out simultaneously right now. I think yeah. that it, it's just a, a wild time. 
at, at the theaters. So, you know, if, you know, as a lot of my friends from work, my coworkers will ask me, oh, like, what movie should I see if I'm going to see a movie this week? What should I see? And like, honestly, right now, usually it's a really easy answer for me if it's during the course of the year. I'm like, honestly, like, what what are you feeling? What are you into? Because there's so many things you can choose from that, you know, you absolutely would not be disappointed in seeing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And of course, one of those is marriage story, at least in my opinion, Scott, maybe we'll we'll dive in uh, to our discussion here in a second. But, you know, film Twitter and then, you know, it, it's it's been a lot. You know, people a lot of focus has been on the Irishman uh, coming from Netflix and a lot of buzz behind that, both from, you know, view, you know, viewing it on Netflix and everything that's been happening with Martin Scorsese. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Uh, but there's also this other absolute heavy hitter coming from Netflix uh, this year that they're putting a lot of awards consideration behind that we're going to talk about uh, its awards buzz a little bit later on, not just in our review of Marriage Story, but when we talk about our kind of our award season update with the Gotham Awards and, and how it did really well at the Gotham Awards. And that's Marriage Story, you know, kind of written, not kind of written and directed by Noah Baumbach. You know, this is a story about, you know, at least inspired in part by his own divorce from Jennifer Jason Lee. And it, it is a film about this coast to coast divorce between these two these two uh, uh these two i guess m- theater uh focused people i was gonna say two actors but that's not really the case because adam driver is playing a, a director uh his name is charlie i believe yes and uh he his wife you know soon to be ex-wife is played by scarlett johansson uh who's somehow name i'm forgetting right now which nicole. Is yeah. crazy yeah nicole there we go nicole and you know they're they've been married for a few years they have a son and all you know not just one day, but over the course of this time, they've decided that things aren't working anymore and they need to get a divorce. And what happens over the next two hours and 15 minutes is this kind of brutal, gritty, tough thing to watch on screen. And that is the dissolution of this marriage. And one of the things that I think uh, Noah Baumbach does a really good job, just as I said, as I set up our conversation, is that there's not really any heroes or villains in this movie. What they put on screen for you is just two people uh, trying to come to terms with the fact that what was wor- what was the way things were before is it can't and isn't working anymore, and trying to come to some middle ground and and move forward with their lives that are inextricably linked because of the connection that they had and and the family that they made. Scott and you know there's a lot of supporting performances. There's supporting performances from Laura Dern, who's also getting a lot of Oscar buzz as the lawyer for Scarlett Johansson's Nicole, uh, and then of course Adam Driver has a couple lawyers of his own with an Alan. Uh, Alan Alda, as well as um, Joe um, Ray, Ray Liotta. Oh, Ray Liotta. Yeah, not. I was going to say Joe Pesci. <laughs> Ray Liotta got got Irish on my mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The uh, got the Irish on my mind. Yeah, no. Uh, Ray Ray Liotta and Scott. I just want to kind of leave things there and throw things over to you to get your gel impressions. What did you think of this of this marriage story? Yeah, no, Scott, you're right. This is totally an Oscar contender. Like honestly, right now, thinking about the what's going to be nominated for best picture like the only three movies that i feel confident in saying that is a lock for best picture nomination are the irishman once upon a time in hollywood and this movie marriage story um i think those three these three movies are absolutely going to be nominated for um best picture and i you know am am happy to hear that right because last year we were a little bit disappointed with the best picture crop um there were a couple just outright bad movies that got in there and then you know movies like the favorite and black panther which i thought were good but not um you know among the year's best necessarily um but this year i think you know again i'm very encouraged to see that all you know the large majority if not all of the movies being talked about um for 
Best Picture are very good movies and, you know, in some cases, great movies or movies that I have not seen yet, but am anticipating them being very good or great. Um, and Marriage Story absolutely falls in there. Um, I think that I was I, I did have some concerns going into this movie and I, I wasn't like thrilled to watch this movie despite all of the buzz it was getting just because of the subject matter that you described, Scott. For one, I thought that I would have trouble accessing the movie emotionally just because, I mean, I've never, I've only been in one serious relationship ever. I've never been married. I've never um, gone through, you know, much of what the characters in this movie are going through. Um, my parents aren't divorced. So like I never experienced it that way either. Um, and so I was worried about that, but I didn't have that issue. I think that I, I did have uh, the emotional connection for the most part of the, that the movie wants you to have. Obviously, there are things which are going to resonate with people who have gone through this process a lot more than than they resonated with me. But I think um, in particular, certain scenes in the movie, and we'll talk about some of the specific scenes because I think there are some standout scenes, um, did really hit me heavily. Um, and so I was very impressed to see that from, from a screenwriting perspective from Noah Baumbach's script. Um, I think the the other concern that I had, which was probably a little bit validated, was just that this movie would be hard to watch at times. Um, it reminds me a lot of Before Midnight, which is the um, conclusion to Richard Linklater's uh, Before trilogy. And the in Before Midnight, if you've seen it, a large majority of the film is this couple that we have come to know and love over two movies, just having an awful fight in which they, you know, all, the, all of the skeletons come out of the closet. Every insult, every name uh, is is being called. And it's painful. It's hard to watch, even though it is very honest, very believable. And that's exactly how I felt about Marriage Story. Um, I think there are a lot of scenes which are um, conventionally, in, you know, enjoyable or, you know, again, resonated with me emotional. I, I don't want to make it sound like the movie is a slog because it definitely was not at all. But there are some scenes um, in there which... I was like, can I just like click the 30 second skip ahead? Cause it was just, it was tough to watch. Like more so than like gruesome horror movies. This this is the kind of stuff when, um, and I mean, there is one scene in particular and if you've seen the film, you'll know the one I'm talking about, but. We'll talk about it too, yeah. Yeah, but um, other scenes as well. I was just like, this This is the kind of stuff which I just, it's just kind of sickening for me to watch. Um, but Scott, to your point, I think that I really like what this movie stands for. Um, and you talk about how there's no heroes or villains. I love movies that, um, where there is moral complexity like that and where there is a lot of empathy shown towards both sides of the equation. And there's been a lot of conversation around this movie about whose side is the movie on? Whose side should I be taking? I don't think that's the right conversation to be having. And I have a, I screenshotted a tweet earlier this morning from Scott Tobias that I'm, I'll read a little bit later when we talk about the plot, but that I think very accurately sums up what I feel about this movie. Basically, that it is sort of an indictment of the process of going through a divorce um, more than it is. You mentioned those lawyer characters. I think they factor heavily into that more than it is an indictment of people who get a divorce, which is obviously the right stance to be taking. But still, it's. I that was what was more compelling to me was this whole, you know, examination of the process, because there is, you know, some legal stuff that obviously, uh, you know, I was interested in. And I will say, having just taken the uh, professional responsibility, the ethics exam, they get the ethics issues with, you know, these kinds of uh, lawyers exactly on the nose in this movie about like going around to other lawyers and, um, you know, asking them or t talking to them just for the purpose of c conflicting them out from your your partner so that your partner can't get a good lawyer. That's that is exactly the kind of stuff that happens. There's other moments like that, too. But so I really appreciated the authenticity um, of that 
particular thread in the movie, which I think was the one that stood out to me of, um, you know, where the, the process of divorce um, is really the culprit in this movie. And the reason that things spiral out of control for the most part um, in, in certain moments in the movie. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 you know, I hesitate to say that I enjoyed it because, you know, like I said, there are some tough scenes in there, but I did enjoy it more, a lot more than I was expecting. I connected with it a lot more than I was expecting. And I think uh, this is the kind of movie that I greatly admire. Um, and I think it's an excellently, excellently made and crafted film, but probably won't be in my top 10 favorites of the year just because of, you know, my personal enjoyment and how I, you know, define the movies that I put on my favorites list. But it's a great film. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you expressed those concerns that you kind of mentioned there briefly to me before you saw the film. And I think the resolution of those concerns and what you're describing is about what I expected uh, from you, because I obviously have, the, have a similar experience in that I haven't been married. I haven't been divorced. Um, may, you know, I've been in maybe some more, more serious, like more, more serious relationships than you have, but the actual experience that you're witnessing on screen that, you know, that's not really part of my experience. And what I found when I was watching the movie was that I found everything accessible because, you know, yes, the process of divorce might be unique in that I haven't had to like get a lawyer and, you know, split things and like figure out shared custody of a child and things like that. But the emotions and like the, the thoughts that are expressed between these two people, I think, you know, I can, I can access those things. And I think that that's what is keeping uh, keeping you tethered to the movie maybe even is that the feelings and the emotions that Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson, it, even the lawyers too, even even the sentiments that Laura Dern, Ray Liotta, Alan Alda are expressing in their scenes and their lines. Those are things that that feel accessible because those are just real human emotions and you don't need to go through a divorce to feel those things. Uh, obviously, there, like I said, there are certain, certain nuances, certain eccentricities of, of the actual process that to actually relate to it, you have to go through. But but the crux of the film about two people trying to figure out how they're going to be able to move forward with their lives in a way that makes sense for both of them, and that that's something that that people go through without having to go through divorce. And I found this movie incredibly accessible, incredibly raw uh, in a way that I've described other movies, I think, earlier this year as raw, as a little bit rough around the edges. And I don't think there's anything rough around this movie's edges. I think this movie is super refined, super polished surgical in the story that it tells. Uh, I, you know, I can't remember if I was talking about this with you or someone else that, you know, this movie is going to probably be a play in a few years, just because the way the scenes are shot, uh, you know, this is easily translatable to, you know, you, it, it, it's very concentrated for certain periods of time. It jumps forward and shows you another scene or two uh, and then jump and then continues to jump forward and progress the story. And a lot of times when I see movies that are done that way, I felt, I feel it's a little bit disconnected. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, we talk about so many movies that feel like they're a constant narrative flow that it's hard to pick out individual discrete scenes just because everything blends together almost in a really fluent way, uh, for the lack of a better way to put it. And this movie does, does like in terms of how it shoots it and how it presents the story, it does the opposite. It, it tells you, it shows you very discrete things on the screen, but they still flow together perfectly. I don't feel like I, I miss anything that happens. And that's not because I have a character telling me everything that's happened in between each scene is that you know you infer everything that's important that's happened from the things that are that are being talked about on screen, and I think that's just perfect storytelling. I think that it's just such such a good way to tell your story. Um, and we, you know, somehow we've gotten 15 minutes into this episode, and we haven't even talked about how good all these performances are because yeah. Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson, Laura Dern, 
Alan Alderaleo, to the five people that we kind of mentioned at the top, they're, I mean, they, they, some of the best performances I've seen this year um, across the board. I think all these people, not all these people will get nominations, uh, but maybe three or four of them will. And I think that it's well-deserving. We'll talk in detail about that in a second, probably. But I just thought this was as close to a perfect film that I've seen uh, this year. I still think Unbelievable is better if I could write that as a movie, um, but I can't because obviously it's a miniseries on Netflix. But this is, I mean, this is a wonderful film. Probably uh, it, right now, it's my number one of the year, and uh, we'll see where I shake out score Whoa. later on in the episode. But right, right, right now, it's uh, it is it is top Avengers Endgame, which is it's taken a few months to get there. I swear, if you don't give this a ten after saying that it was your number one movie of the year, then we're gonna just abolish the scoring system. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But on that note, I'll well, I'll leave you uh, leave you hanging whether or not I you know, ruin your, ruin your day and ruin our scoring system or not for later on in the episode. But I would love to talk a little bit more about these performances and the lead performances are the best place to start. Uh, Adam Driver's Charlie and Scarlett Johansson's Nicole. Uh, is there one that stuck out more than the other for you? We'll talk about both. Don't worry. Um, but if you had to pick one out of these two to talk about first, who would it be? Yeah, uh, I mean, Scarlett Johansson blew me away with her performance in this movie. I, I think it's probably the best performance of her career, which is saying something because she's a very good actress. Um, yeah. But it just honestly throws another wrench in that best actress race. Like it makes me think about a couple of years ago when we had we had you had Margot Robbie for I, Tonya, You had Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird and you had Frances McDormand for three billboards. And it was just like, you know, pick any name out of a hat. and You're going to be yeah. great. This I was this thinking year, about that again. And I was like, yeah. how did Margot Robbie not win that Oscar? But we, we can move on from that. Well, Frances McDormand was incredible. That's how, too. But um, for me, I mean, like for me, this is not how it's going to obviously going to shake out for the Oscars. But like thinking about it now, you, you have Scarlett Johansson in this movie. You have Florence Pugh and tomorrow and you have jesse buckley and wild rose like those are the three for me it's like you can't go wrong with any of those although i think only one of them will end up getting say a only one of them is yeah. gonna get a nomination right and that's that's what i said from the beginning um but it's it's the same sort of headspace um but yeah scarlett johansson is is incredible i think the rawness as you mentioned and the honesty that she's able to access here with her performance is pretty incredible there's there's one you know show-stopping scene that she has the for her first scene with laura dern's character where she has like this unbroken monologue for probably like i don't know eight to ten minutes maybe of the movie um and like emotionally just goes through so much in this scene and it's just incredible acting um she she wears it all during this you know entire scene and um the way that she she delivers this monologue over the course of you know eight to ten minutes it's it, it does have that like you're mentioning it being a play probably it does it does feel like you're watching theater um and but not in a bad way in in a great way like you're you're watching incredible acting um and I think there are there are other examples of of this of of her performance in the movie being really effective I think hers it, it you know is the more emotional performance and. That is probably why I connected with it uh, more, but I, I also think that her performance is outstanding. I, I think that Adam Driver is great as well. I think he's such a great actor. Um, he's having a great 2019. I think he's going to be one of the uh, biggest stars in movies in in years to come um, because of because of movies like this, because of Star Wars, because of the report, all of the stuff that he's doing this year um, is shaping up to be excellent. Um, and yeah, I think I think he I think he's really good here. I think that the way that he sort of masks masks his pain at certain points um is really effective um i think there there's one scene in particular um with the person who basically comes over to monitor him and his son and how they're and something that happens at the end of this scene and uh was like 
wow. Uh, and and Adam Driver's, you know, his his acting during the during that moment was was pretty incredible um, yeah. as well. And um, and then you know, fo following that scene, a couple scenes later, there's this you know scene that you've probably heard talked about if you've seen anything about this movie where he sings. Um, that is also yeah. that's when the emotion really comes out from from him. And uh, also, he's in, in a musical know, next year. Great. Uh, well, he sings great. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think both of these performances are, you know, fit right with the tone of the movie that you're talking about, with with the rawness, with the authenticity. These characters feel lived in. They feel like people that you, you know, would actually meet in real life. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't I can't praise them enough, and and they definitely deserve the Oscar nominations that they are both 100% going to receive for this movie. Yeah, I I would agree that Scarlett Johansson probably has the showier role. I'm not, I honestly don't know if either of these people will win the Oscar. I think Scarlett Johansson, maybe. I was just gonna say, I think Renee Zellweger's pretty much got best actress locked up at this point. But yeah, that I, I agree that that's true, which is why it's going to be tough for ScarJo, I think to win that, to win that Oscar, even if maybe she is the, not necessarily the most deserving, but maybe the better, if we do say there is a better performer of the two, uh, just because Judy feels like every single ounce of awards, effort is going to go towards Ju uh, Renee Zellweger in that and, film. And some cynics might, may say that every ounce uh, of what was put into the movie from a creative standpoint, you know, all, also was going for the goal of getting Renee Zellweger an Oscar. But hey, sure. Uh, I, I mean, that's, movie, so, yeah. I don't think that, I don't think that's on, I mean, that I don't think anyone's yeah. like, that doesn't necessarily have to be a criticism. I don't but think. then, yeah. But then for best actor, I think Driver and Joaquin Phoenix are probably going to be the ones who are up there. But Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory. Sure. Uh, Robert De Niro for the actor. I mean, it, the best actor field, although I don't think there's yeah. a clear winner, which maybe means that Driver has a better chance, is just so crazy this year. That that category is unreal yeah. uh, this year in, in terms of competition. You know, we'll talk again. We'll talk later in the show. But like Antonio Banderas, I think won for the New York Film Critics Circle, and then Adam Sandler won for the National Board of Review, and at the Gotham Awards, I believe that was Adam Driver for Marriage Story. And so we also know that the are you know, in the background, we have the Irishman lurking as well with with Robert De Niro. It's just it's a crazy it's a crazy year. Uh, but to actually talk about my perspective on the performances, yeah. you know, I I loved Adam Driver's performance. I think that it was absolutely uh, incredible because for you know, not all the scenes, of course, are shot from his perspective. But it, it feels like if you had to say who the film's perspective was, it's a little bit more towards. Charlie's character, I think. I think mm -hmm. you get a little. He probably, if you got your stopwatch, he probably gets a little bit more screen time than ScarJo, and that makes sense. I mean, and this is Noah Bombach story. Adam Driver is Noah Bombach in this story, and so I think that it, it that makes sense to me. Why the least in terms of my arc of the film, I felt like the movie in the way that I was viewing it. I know this is maybe not the right way to think about it, but I think it was an inevitable question that I had asked myself: like, who am I empathizing with more? in this scenario. And at first, I think I feel that way about Adam Driver's character. And I think he does a really good job to, you know, to your point, maybe being a, a less emotional performance because he's trying to approach this more logically. And maybe he's just a little bit more confused about why they're getting a divorce. He's trying to really wrap his head around it and doesn't really fully understand what is happening because, you know, when you flip over to the other side of the coin, you know, you have Scarlett Johansson in LA with her mom, you know, with her sister and with Laura Dern's Nora, you know, that lawyer character, really creating a, basically what is the equivalent of a trap uh, for for Adam Driver. And so I think w when you see that trap being formed, I think that it was inevitable for me to, to empathize a little bit more with Charlie. But then over the course of the film, I think that 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 initial perspective gets pushed back toward the center 
uh, as you see both sides of the coin play out and you understand that, you know, maybe Scarlett Johansson's perspective on this is being driven a lot by this lawyer and that, you know, she wants to find the middle ground more than her lawyer does. And I think that both of these characters act out that so perfectly. I do want to give, because we're not going to talk about the, her and the supporting cast here in a second. I don't think so, but I love Merritt Weaver's one scene. Uh, she's on track for being, you know, the, one of the performers and my two favorite things from 2019 with uh, unbelievable and marriage story. But I think that that was a that was a cool scene. And, and anyway, we can talk about the sporting guests in a second. I just think everything about these performances. I think I think they're perfect performances. If they both got if they both won the Oscar, which I really doubt that both of them would, um, uh, that I would be so 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 pleased because they're two of the best performances of the year. Yeah, no, I'm certainly rooting uh, for Scarlett Johansson, given what I said that you know the the two performances that maybe would compete with this one for me are not going to get nominated um and i'd love to see driver win too just you know for for his body of work even if maybe personally my heart is more with robert de niro or leonardo dicaprio um i think they're all excellent yeah i mean you know how i feel about leo um and i'll, I'll yeah. never be dissatisfied with leo winning, <laughs> winning i don't think he will win but he might be my favorite of the year yeah, no, I, I need to sit back. I need I still need to rewatch Once Upon a Time, I think, again. Anyway, but I certainly think that Driver's performance is, is better than De Niro. I know we feel differently about that, maybe, but uh, I like him better in, in, in Marriage Story than I do De Niro in The Irishman, although I think it's a fantastic performance. And I would just be so pleased. I mean, he's having such an incredible year. I mean, he's had The Dead Don't Die, which, you know, a film that I didn't love that much. Uh, but he did. was good in it. But he was no, absolutely. And he, he was might have been the best person in the movie, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that if I didn't say that it, when I in our review, I should have. Or uh, him or I, Tilda Swinton, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit different performances there. Yeah. But you know, you got in that you have him in the report, which was excellent, uh, and especially he was excellent in it. You have him in this, and I mean, his, the best performance of his career so far. A movie that technically came out last year, but didn't get a release until this year, which was um, the Man Who Killed Don Quixote. He's like the lead performer in that, and then of course. How can you forget that he has the Star rise of Skywalker yeah. and, you know, if not, maybe the most interesting character in, in, in the sequel trilogy, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out in the, in the, in the finale of that sequel trilogy. But, you know, one of the most interesting characters there. And like I said, he's going to be in this musical next year uh, called Annette. I can't remember who he's starring opposite um, Marion Cotillard. That's who it is. Oh, uh, he's, wow. he's opposite Marion Cotillard in this musical next year called Annette. He's just doing incredible stuff. His range is incredible. I think he shows his range in this film. And beyond that, he shows it over the course of the year, you know, what he's doing. And he can sing. Like, it's just it, everything about Adam Driver I just love. And then Scarlett Johansson, you know, another person who has, you know, kind of a body of work Oscar for for the year, you know, so to speak. Like, she was in Avengers Endgame. I think that's something that, that might help her uh, in this in this push. Um, you know, she was in – she's – what else has she been in? She's been in other things this year. Um I'm Jojo sure. Rabbit. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Jojo Rabbit, which she was excellent in. Like, we're not talking about that on the podcast because we did just miss out on on talking about uh her, I, I think, in that. But like she has probably the most emotionally impactful uh scene and, and kind of role in that film. And so, you know, she's really built these both of these actors have built up such a strong body of work uh over over the course of, of this year. And I think that they're both very deserving. Yeah, I agree. All right, supporting cast, Scott, Laura Dern, probably the person who's most likely uh, to win an Oscar out of all these people. Um, I'm not sure if there's really any other person who's getting talked about as much as Laura Dern is uh, for this role. But we have Laura Dern. We have Alan Alda, who got a little bit of conversation around a supporting actor role. But I think the fact that he 
shares his role almost with Ray Liotta mm-hmm. is probably handicapping him a little bit. And I think both these performances are also excellent. But what did you think, Scott? Yeah, so this is one area where I maybe had a little bit more of a problem with the movie than obviously you did. Um, I think I like Laura Dern's performance a lot. I think she she's not doing anything far outside of her, far afield from her role in Big Little Lies. Yeah, I was um, gonna say it's, it's almost the same character. Yeah, but but that's fine because it's a great role for her. Um, and and I think I I believed this person for the most part. Um, I think some of the other supporting roles, I think Ray Liotta's character was a bit over the top for me. I understand the purpose of the character of, you know, you have to bring in the, you know, um, pit bull lawyer to fight, you know, the other pit bull lawyer and Laura Dern. But I just felt like the scene where Adam Driver first visits him in the office. I mean, I laughed. There were some funny moments in the scene, but I was like, I don't know if I believe that this is, you know, a person or whether this is Noah Baumbach, like, theorizing what he thinks a sleazy divorce lawyer would be like. Um, So I I didn't buy that character as much. And I actually did not enjoy it. Like the scene, but the the one scene, which I definitely did not like in the movie was the one that you mentioned a few minutes ago um, where Charlie is served with the divorce papers. Um, And I think that what bothered me about the scene were the supporting performances by Julie Haggerty, who plays um, Nicole's mom and, uh, Merritt Weaver, who plays the sister, I thought they were just way too kooky, and it, just what goes on in the scene is really weird. And um, it, I, I couldn't emotionally a- access that scene at all. Which I, I mean, I think it's supposed to be a very impactful scene, like where Charlie is given these divorce papers out of the blue again. Like you said, he's not expecting it at all after he has just received the news, right, that he is getting a MacArthur Genius Grant. So he has gone from the highest of highs to he's about to go to the lowest of lows, and I just felt like. I had trouble following what was going on. Like what was their, what was the plan supposed to be of who was supposed to give him the papers. And then there was just some weird humor that was thrown in there, particularly with the Merritt Weaver character. And I think Julie Haggerty's character throughout, and I have to say, I'm a fan of both of them. When I saw that Julie Haggerty was playing the mom, I was like, Oh heck yeah. But her character was out in space for me. I thought that she, she did not seem like a real person at all. Um, and some, some I can't her, help but think that she, because well, I agree with this and I can't help but think yeah. that she is a real person. I mean, I, I have heard of people like having weird relationships yeah. with their like ex's parents if they were like super close. I've heard of that before, but it does feel it stands it, it feels out a bit because, crazy. Right. Yeah. And it stands out because some of the other performances, particularly those two leads, are so strongly rooted in reality, I feel like. So you you may be right. Like it may be that this character is so out there that they it has to be based on someone in Noah Baumbach's own life. Um, you know, maybe his mother or Jennifer, um, Jennifer Jason Lee's mother. Um well, which it wouldn't be her because that's Vivian Lee, who I'm sure is dead. But um, but uh, I think that um, that those were the moments in the movie which just rang a little false to me. And again, they did stand out more uh, because they uh, because the rest of the movie is so honest and because the rest of the movie is so authentic. So those performances weren't the best for me. I did like Laura Dern's performance. As I said, I did like Alan Alda's performance. I, I wanted more of this character. However, I understand for you know reasons of the plot why he wasn't going to stick around. But I liked the sort of grandfatherliness that he brought um, to this old uh, attorney who has now just gotten into family law. And uh, there's a mediation scene with him and Laura Dern's character, which I, I thought was really good. So I liked his performance as well. Some of the others, not as crazy though. Yeah, Jennifer Jason Lee's mother is Barbara Turner, not Vivian Lee. But so, Vivian Lee's daughter is somebody who's an actress. So that's all I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Barbara Turner was a screenwriter. Don't know. 
Don't know. I'm not ahead. familiar with yeah, it. Sorry. Doesn't matter. No, it's all good. Um, but anyway, I think that the I think the point holds though, it didn't necessarily have to be her mother. It could have been some other like close friend of hers that, that you know he ended up getting close to. Doesn't matter. Anyway, I think that the support I hear what you're saying in that scene. I agree. You know, there's it's probably for a reason where why both of these characters disappear a little bit to the back burner for the most of the rest of the movie. You don't they don't get too much screen time, especially Merritt Weaver, Merritt Weaver's character, who is more referenced kind of off screen than she is on screen for the rest mm-hmm. of the film. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree with maybe that being kind of the one of the more one of the few question marks I might have about this film. But I also think it just goes to show that like and maybe this was the point of these characters to begin with is that these two people's lives have been so especially and maybe this is a better way to put it because I think this movie goes about it in this very particular way is that Charlie Charlie really became a part of Nicole's full family as you know, Charlie not really having a family or at least not a, not any sense of a nuclear family to latch onto uh, in this kind of broader relationship. The fact that he becomes really close with Nicole's sister and particularly Nicole's mother uh, and Julie Haggerty's character. I think in some ways that, you know, this scene goes to show that, and it does feel a little bit over the top and, and a bit unrealistic. Maybe it, maybe something like that happened in real life. Maybe not, but you know, it doesn't always necessarily play well on screen. That happens sometimes. And I think that that scene in particular is a little bit off-putting, but because of the the range, it, in some ways I think it fits with that kind of the range of experiences that Adam Driver's character is going through, that Charlie is going through there. Like you have this moment where he's celebrating his MacArthur Genius Grant and like seeing you know these two people in Nicole's sister and mother that he hasn't seen in a little bit and kind of celebrating that with Nicole all of a sudden. And, and the kookiness of that scene in part contrasts like the high that he's experiencing when he walks through the door to the low that he's all of a sudden experiencing by the time that particular scene ends being yeah, served I, the divorce papers. Yeah. I mean, I got that that's what it was going for. I just like didn't feel the, you know, decline as powerfully as I should, because there was some of this kooky stuff. Yeah. In it, but, yeah. yeah and, and, you know, maybe the, maybe the scene would have been better served if they played it a little bit straighter, you know, maybe that, maybe that is the case, but you know, for me, I didn't necessarily have a problem with either of those two supporting performances, but I did really like all three of the Laura Dern, Ray Liotta, Alan Alda characters. I think that they're played really well. And, and you know, I'm not surprised. Like, I, I guess I didn't have the same, the, the Ray Liotta's character didn't have the same impact on me that it did you. For me, maybe it is a stereotype. Maybe it is, maybe that person, maybe it's not a real thing, but it feels like it's so on point. Like this kind of a little bit older, probably a little bit sexist, uh, like divorce, divorce attorney who like is like you can't let you know women stick it to you. You got to go out there and fight for yourself and defend it. And you know that's very much the message that you get from Ray Liotta. And again, speaking to the like the arc of Adam Driver's character going from someone like an, an Alan Alda in his his that attorney who very much fits with the feel of of what one what Charlie was expecting from this process of mediation and divorce, and then having a transition more towards someone. Uh, like a Laura Dern foil, so to speak, in Ray Liotta's lawyer. I think that works for me really well. And I get, I just didn't have that same, I guess, thought process around uh, whether it was a stereotype. It felt like a natural progression to someone who didn't want to go through these things the way that they happened. And I think, uh, and then had to sink to a level that he doesn't want to sink to. But you know what? You know, we're not playing games anymore. This is serious. And you know, he, he can't like, if he just rolls over, he's not going to get anything out of this. He's going to get steamrolled. And, you know, he ultimately he does kind of get steamrolled anyway, but, um, 
I think that those characters and that play their specific roles. Yes, you have Laura during the entire time on one side of the equation, but the sort of progression from what Alan Alda is doing to what Ray Liotta is doing really works for me. And I think they play it really well. Yeah, you know, I, I have my sticky points there, but sure. uh, for the most part, I agree. Cool. All right, we'll switch to the plot. I mean, we've already been kind of talking about it a little bit, and I think there's a couple, maybe even three scene, big scenes that are left still worth talking about. And I think the first one is one of those scenes that you were talking about early on that was really difficult to watch. And it's the scene right after Adam Driver, you know, gets his gets an apartment in L.A. You know, Scarlett Johansson's Nicole comes over. And they just have this knockdown, absolutely brutal, drag out, shouting match. Uh, like, I about, hope you were dead, like everything. I wish you were dead, like everything gets. Yeah, I mean that the 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 culmination of the scene is Adam Driver on his knees in tears, screaming, "I wish you were dead. I wish that you could walk. Like I wish that nothing would happen to our, you know, to our to our son. And as long as our son is going to be okay, I hope you could walk out the door and like get an illness and die, or like get hit by a car. It's like very graphic. Mm-hmm. What what he's like yelling and. You know, the end, like right after that, he's like on his knees crying and like hugging Nicole's legs. And I just found the scene so emotionally uh, impactful, uh, you know, having been in situations, not necessarily with a with a significant other going to be with the friends, like people that I'm really frustrated with and thinking and, you know, wanting like almost in tears to the point of like yelling something horrible, you know, at, not necessarily at them, but just like into the void and at, and it just affected me, I think, in a really, in a really uh, emotional way. And I, maybe it didn't have the same effect on you, but no, I mean, it did because you know, again, it was so hard to watch. And I think that this scene is, you know, gets at the crux of again that theme that I like in the movie about the process being the problem, right? Because this is happening right after, uh, right after Charlie has brought in the Ray Liotta. Uh, lawyer again to court right after there's this court scene which is basically the equivalent of the fight scene that we then see between the two of them but it's between the two lawyers going after each other you know throwing all the skeletons out of the closet again accusing um accusing nicole of being an alcoholic accusing charlie of a uh, you know a bunch of a bunch of stuff uh, both lawyers are just kind of despicable honestly but um but so you you see that like the the, the process, e- even though earlier in the movie, like they're perfectly fine, honestly, interacting with each other. Like, yes, they have their differences. Obviously, they're getting a divorce. But uh, you always get the sense in these earlier scenes that they could just work this out between the two of them. And that's, you know, I think what the movie's kind of getting at, uh, that the process is flawed. But then, you know, you bring in these lawyers, you amp up the animosity because that's what you're supposed to do. Right. That's how it is. And from the very beginning of the lawyers being brought in, right? Like we have Adam Driver's character talking about the default judgment and saying like, oh, you know, well, she would never do that. You know, we, we've talked about this. We would, you know, we agree to share custody. She would never, you know, allow uh, herself to have a sole custody or prevent me from seeing my son or whatever. And that, again, that just sets the tone for um, what what's going on um, throughout the, the movie and that the process continues to amp up the animosity against their own wishes and it culminates with this scene where they're basically imitating the lawyers like i said they're just going after each other they're trying to you know outdo each other um with who can who can bring the worst insult next um and then it yeah like you said it ends with basically them just apologizing and adam driver crying because that's not who they are and i think that they come to terms with the fact in that moment that they have um you know that, that they have allowed the process to you know turn them into something that they're not. And th- so the, the Scott Tobias tweet that I wanted to mention 
what he says is basically giving marriage story the team whoever treatment validates a divorce process that turns couples into ghoulish cartoon versions of their worst selves. These are two flawed but essentially decent people who are doing a necessary thing and having their pain exacerbated. Yeah, I think that's exactly and and you know what I feel about the movie and I think that that scene is the culmination of that. Yeah, no, I completely agree and you see it happen. In some ways it's it's a scene that's even more drawn out than the legal scene right before it, the courtroom scene right before it and it's necessary because it starts out with like Scarlett Johansson being like, oh, no, like I no longer have the upper hand in court. So why don't we forget all this and work things out again? Kind of like how we'd originally planned. And he's like, oh, now you want to like do this like you're going to screw me over before. But now you want to do this. And it just escalates from there. And it, everything about this worked. And I think it's both of these uh, both of these individuals best scenes in the movie just because of what they I don't you know, what, whatever dark place they have to dig to to get to the performances they give in this scene. I mean, I know Scarlett Johansson has been divorced from Ryan Reynolds. I don't know if their relationship was, you know, super toxic or anything like that, or if the divorce was particularly bad or not, but you know, whatever dark place these two have to access to get to it. Um, I hope they don't have to go there again anytime soon, but what they got out of it was, I mean, again, one of the, one of the best scenes of the year for me in terms of acting and kind of the scene, another scene that you referenced that kind of follows this one in pretty short order, I think is that scene where they have, kind of the court appointed, I don't even know, like social worker come into the house mm -hmm. and observe, uh, come to the, come to Adam driver's apartment and observe him, uh, an evening between him and his son. Uh, and what happens is painful in a completely different way. Um, uh, and, and, and how hard, <laughs> how hard Charlie is trying to uh, put on a show that he is, you know, the father that he believes himself to be. And that honestly, Nicole probably believes that he is, uh, as, as well. And what results is painful. And there is, again, kind of this culmination of this scene in particular uh, where his son brings up the fact that he does this little trick with a knife on his keychain. Uh, I believe it's a switch. Is it? A, no, it's not a switchblade. It's um, just some sort of like box cutter. It looks like a box cutter mm -hmm. knife, basically. Um, and the, the social worker asks him, all right, no, no, like do do it. Like what, do, what, what is the trick that you do with the knife? He's like, oh, like he pulls out the knife, whip, like whips it out. He's like, oh, I just pretend to cut myself, but like I don't cut myself with it, and then does it and cuts, does cuts cut his, his arm <laughs> wide open. Uh, Scott, what did you what did you think of this scene? Yeah, no, I think it just you know it again another hard scene to watch because again what happens afterwards is like you know he's he's covering it up. He's like, oh no, I'm fine. Like he he's walking her, her to the door where she's gonna exit, and like he has to like help her open the door, and then he's smearing blood on the door, and it's just it's awful. Like like you said, it is him like failing at trying to cover up the you know holes in the relationship that he has with his son right i think that's a that's a key element of charlie's character is that you know the the mother nicole is his son's favorite parent like you know he he says it throughout the movie that he would rather you know he would rather live there in los angeles he would rather be with nicole the mom um and charlie you know tries to mask that and tries to you know cover that up with all of these stories that he's regaling um, the social worker with, uh, by the way, I also thought the social worker was kind of a weird character, but um, yeah, agreed. But, but, you know, he, he can't do it. But, uh, and, and ultimately that, that wound just comes springing open um, quite literally. Um, and he, you know, is lying there on the floor, you know, at the end of the scene. Yeah. Right. Being forced to confront, um, you know, what everything that is wrong with the show that he has just put on and everything that is wrong with the show that he has been putting on um, 
over the course of their marriage. And it's a powerful scene. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, couldn't, couldn't agree more. Again, I feel like I kind of alluded to how I felt about it at the beginning when I was setting it up, but it's a powerful scene. And one, I just love the imagery of the scene at the end, you know, the, that final shot before it does cut and go to the next kind of sequence of events is the, you know, obviously the camera on the floor at, you know, looking right in the face and he's like borderline about to pass out. It looks like basically uh, from yeah. concern, no, I, concerningly, I thought that was what was going to happen. Yeah. Concerningly from loss of blood. Um, but it's just him there on the floor telling, telling his son that, you know, Oh no, I'm going to be okay. Um, and again, I think that what, what you see on screen is exactly to your point, him confronting all, all everything that's wrong with like what, well, one, what he just did and two, what he's been doing um, and, and the whole process. And I think again, you can, you can see that through line from that. I mean, to me, you can see that through line through his acting uh, between what he was confronting in the scene with Nicole that we were just talking about to what he has to confront here when he's lying on the floor. Uh, and I just think it's expertly woven together. And kind of the last thing I want to talk about, and, and of course, throw in anything else that you want to talk about here as well, is kind of the 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 scenes that bookend this story. The first scene where they're reading the letters, and then I guess a little bit before the last scene, but I think it ties in with the whole last scene that you get after the divorce has been finalized. And, you know, the, he has his place in L.A. He's even going to be moving to L.A., we find out, which I want to, I want to talk about that moment in particular. Uh, and just every, everything that happens there when he finds the letter that Nicole had refused to read in, ther- in couples therapy, uh, but that we are we hear as a voiceover from Scarlett Johansson at the beginning of the movie. Uh, and then, of course, the final scene where um, we've kind of reached the resolution of the divorce, so to speak. Scott, what, what did you think of? Well, you can talk about the scenes individually if you'd like, but also just how these two kind of moments start and end the story. Yeah, no, I, you're highlighting all my favorite moments here in the movie. I lo- I loved the first scene in the movie. That's probably my favorite yeah. scene to spoil that. Yeah. I think that the way that it right, you have this whole monologue and it. And this was part of the trailers that led up to the movie was you had like mm-hmm. this part of the movie. You had like the one trailer from Charlie's perspective and the one trailer from Nicole's perspective. But um, basically talking about how what they love about the other person. And, you know, it's there's this stirring music and they set it up like, you know, this is going to be, a, you know, a passionate, you know, romantic story. This is, um, you know, a, a, you know, a, it's very romantic. Right. These two people are in love. Here's all they're listing all of the things they love about each other. And then like, bang, all of a sudden, right when they get to the end of their monologues, you realize, no, they're actually in like counseling. And this is what they're you know being forced to do to write down what they love about the other person as an exercise. And in fact, Nicole won't even read out what she's written. Um, and that's what sets up what happens at the end of the movie, which I also found very powerful, where Henry discovers, you know, the letter that um, that Nicole wrote and never read uh, and reads it. And, and Charlie reads it there with him um, when when Charlie comes to the house after, as you said, he's moved to L.A. Um, and, you know, I, I thought that that was a, a beautiful way to bookend the movie and just get at that again, that whole idea of couldn't they just have worked this out themselves, right? I, I think that um, the there these people like like Scott Tobias said these are decent but flawed people. They're they're people, right? They're they're humans. Um, and I think that um, again, the fact that Charlie realizes this in the end and, and moves to L.A. after all this time, like that, probably would have solved the issue from the beginning. Um, but I think because he again he gets so steeped in the process and the animosity and all of that that. He just he, he isn't allowed to come to this revelation about himself and that, um, you know, maybe 
it is the right thing for him to move to LA until much later than he really should have. Um, yeah. And I mean, it maybe even would have saved his marriage. I know, I don't know if that's exactly yeah. what you were saying, but you know, if he'd been, if he'd not been kind of closed off and, you know, so self and so self-absorbed just to be very honest, like, and to be self-absorbed in his own work and his own creations and creativity on Broadway, if he'd been, you know, a better partner and been willing to follow through on the things that they discussed. Uh, and, one of which is, of course, living in L.A., then he would have saved his marriage. And then, again, in, in different points, too, to your point, exactly, like, they could, maybe could have saved marriage. But even if he hadn't saved his marriage, it would have saved all of this, all of this horrible things that happened to them over the course of this process of getting divorced. And then now, once everything is done, now he's willing to move to L.A. And I think that you can really see the hurt in Scarlett Johansson's face uh, when he says that he's moving to L.A. And just, in, in, in some sense of the word, like another stage of heartbreak for her. And I think that that was yeah. one of the, that was one of the more emotionally impactful just moments in the film for me. Right. Well, yeah, because her reaction to him, like moving to LA is just like, hmm. like basically like you, you could have done this like, you know, a, a long time ago, but now she's moved on. She has another boyfriend that we see in the house. Yeah. 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 It's a tough one. And I also love the way this, the, well, one, I love the way the movie actually ends the final shot. Uh, and the final moment where you have each of these characters kind of throughout the course of the movie really trying to, you know, defend their territory, so to speak. Like, you know, nope, this is my night. You can't take him even if it's more convenient. I, you know, I have to establish that, you know, my my space and my share of this of this whole process and this whole um, divorce, so to speak. And then th the final moment, of course, is them doing Halloween. I, I assume the next year, just them doing Halloween mm -hmm. the next year. And. Nicole allowing Charlie to take their son home with him for the night, even though it's not his night. Um, and I think that was a right. moment that maybe to some people might feel a little bit cliche and sound a little bit like a happy ending, but also in some ways feels like the, you know, the denouement, the resolution of this whole story and recognizes that, you know, what they have is not perfect because it still feels a little bit weird and a little bit off putting in the scene in, in a good way and intentional, I believe. Uh, to have these people together trick-or-treating, uh, especially juxtaposed to the to the trick-or-treating scenes from the, the previous year. Yeah, and well, and that's what I was going to say is I think that this is an element of the movie that we haven't necessarily touched on, but the role that the child and, and the way sure. that the process affects him as well. Yeah. Number one, like he's being used as a pawn in all of this, which is just not, you know, not the right thing. He's being treated like an asset, like, you know, the freaking pictures on the wall. Um and but also the effect that it has on him, right? Because he's having to like, like you mentioned those past Halloweens, for example. He he trick or treats with Nicole, and then it's like, okay, well, you know, now's your time with your dad. And the dad's like, all right, it's Halloween. Like you know, Charlie's like, let's go out and trick or treat, and he's like, I already did that. Uh, and it's just like it's robbing um, one parent of you know getting to have these experiences with the child, and it's you know putting the child through more than they actually you know w want to be going through, and it just nobody wins. It takes the focus off of the child, to, you know, to yeah. your point exactly, and more about a parent getting the experience that the, that each parent getting the experience they want to have, um, and that's a part of that divorce. And then you see that that kind of dissolves with the resolution of the divorce, and now they can have this one family experience. Obviously, not how you necessarily think a stereotypical family would be having that experience, but the fact that they're having it all together and that resolution. And I think that's a, it's a really good way to conclude that aspect of the story as well. Yeah. So, you know, I have two more things kind of on my list to talk about, but we've also worked them into our conversation already. But I want to give you 
Uh, I, I have a couple more things I want to talk about in terms of awards considerations. We'll do that in a second. But the kind of the last question that I was going to ask about the film from a thematic perspective, and I think that we've touched on it briefly, but to just kind of more explicitly talk about it is, you know, can this movie have the emotional impact um, that it would on someone who's been through a tough divorce, something like this, on everyone? Like, is this movie for everyone, Scott? I kind of that's something that I want to discuss because I think it's something that we that that speaks to your concern going in not having had that experience and do you think that not only i mean we, the answer to, the, to one of the one part of that question is yes right like you accessed a lot of the emotions that were happening or at least related or impacted you a lot of the emotions and that were being conveyed on screen but like is this a movie that could be for everyone yeah i think so because it, i mean obviously it's not for like adolescence I mean, sure i mean it's, like, rated, it's rated r for a sure, reason like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah but for an r-rated audience yes i think so i think that Again, what what it's touching on, even if you can't relate to the exact situations, you can relate to the emotions, which I think is something that you said earlier. Uh, you can relate to, you know, the the anger and the grief and everything that comes with this process, even if you've ne never personally been through or experienced it. Um, right. Because maybe like me, for example, I. I had different emotions because my parents have stayed together and I was fortunate enough to not have have to go through this process. And so that, you know, helped me, number one, like to empathize more with people who have gone through that process and to number two, appreciate like the, what I have in my own life that I have never had to be subjected to, you know, this terrible process that um, drives people further apart when it shouldn't be doing that. Um, and so I like those sorts of emotions resonated with me. I resonated some with the position of the child too. And, and like what we were just talking about and feeling sorry for him being used as a pawn in this whole thing. Um, and so, yes, there, there are universal emotions that are um, at the core of this movie and that are experienced by all of the characters here that transcend the, you know, specifics of the plot. And I think that's what a great movie does, right? You can take something that, um, you know, you may not be interested in or you, you may not be able to connect with and turn it into something that, you know, can have a profound impact on you. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. It, it's exactly what I felt when I was walking out of the movie. That I'm like, you know what? I really don't think that. I mean, I think you, you have to have had emotional connections with people. But honestly, I'm not even sure you'd have to have been in a relationship before. I mean, I think that will help, certainly. But I think that, again, some of the emotions that I felt like I was seeing on screen, I felt with love with other loved ones, like other, other family members, other friends. Like, again, not all necessarily frustration and, and wanting to like something like the bombastic, not necessarily bias, but the climactic scene that we see between Nicole and Charlie. But I feel like those emotions are so true and so raw to all types of relationships that people have. Uh, and to me, I just, again, I just can't praise this movie enough. I thought it was wonderful for that reason. Yeah. All right, Scott, final note. We did talk about the best acting and best supporting acting performances here and maybe their viability for Oscars. And we briefly touched on maybe a best picture role here, but we'd love to also talk about Noah Baumbach. Do we think that he has a shot at best director? Do you think this movie has a shot at best original screenplay? And again, maybe revisiting the best picture conversation. Definitely think that best screenplay, it will, this will be nominated for best original screenplay. Um, definitely think best picture and best actor and actress for sure. Uh, and, and best supporting actress. I definitely think Laura Dern is one of the front runners for best supporting actress as well. Um, maybe mm -hmm. even the front runner. I but, think right now. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, her and JLo probably are the front runners. But um, as far as director, I'm a little bit more unsure about that just because yeah. the direct, like the direction of this movie is very good, but it doesn't like, pop off the screen like it does in in some of these other movies we've talked about like 
like the Irishman, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where yeah, you can see like, Tarantino's got to be the front runner right now, right? right? Like the yes, I think so. I mean, he's never won a directing Oscar before, which is crazy. But he, like where the directors like style where there's something signature about the director that is stamped all over the movie. And I don't think you necessarily have that here. You just have a very well-told um, story. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I think maybe he might just miss out on the best director nomination, but it wouldn't surprise me if he got in there as well, just because like I said, this movie is one of the locks for best picture nomination for sure. I'm not sure who else is, would necessarily be beating him out for best director. Although I agree that it's probably the one that he has the least chance of uh, in terms of th this movie where it, where it fits has the least chance of, of getting, I mean, I think Scorsese and and Tarantino are definitely kind of the top two right now, unless I'm forgetting someone else who's really obvious. Um, but yeah, I think that there's a, there's certainly a, a chance that he gets in there. Maybe I don't, Sam Mendes, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, I'm, obviously I'm not thinking about movies that I haven't seen mm -hmm. yet. I just think Greta that... Gerwig, yeah. yeah, so I think Greta Gerwig, although I'm not hearing best directing necessarily for her as much, but I, we'll, we'll see. Um, we'll, we'll see about that, but yeah, I think Greta Gerwig and Sam Mendes certainly have a chance. I mean, I think that 1917, I mean, we've, I think we maybe touched on it last time or not last time, but when we were talking about, uh, kind of award season that Sam, you know, 1917 is going to be kind of that the movie kind of like a Dunkirk that really gets nominated heavily in a lot of technical awards. And I think the best director is certainly a part of that with Sam Mendes, but, uh, we'll, 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 I'm sure we'll have more to more to talk on that subject as once we finally see the movie. But yeah, I think that he could slip in there. I think he has a, he has his chance. Um, I'm trying to think I, like pain and glory isn't getting talked about for best director. Um, I can't really think. Yeah, I mean, like Jordan, Omar, I don't think so. there's no hype for Jordan Peele getting what, what about Bong Joon-ho? I mean, that's just, that's a possibility right there. I think I would hope so. I mean, I would hope Bong Joon-ho for sure. I mean, maybe a James Mangold, although again, I don't know if he would necessarily uh, get in over Noah Baumbach. Yeah, but to be quite honest with you, I, I mean, we're getting a little far afield at this point, but I don't think Ford versus Ferrari is even going to get nominated for Best Picture. Just throwing that out there. I mean, Scott Mance thinks that it might win, might win Best Picture. So that's I don't, I don't agree with that. But. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. It's a crowd pleaser. It's an A plus cinema score. It it is, and that's why you would think. But I don't know something about it. Eh, we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've gone further field, but the point is, sure. I think that this movie is the real deal for awards consideration. We'll switch topics here in a second when we do flip over to talk more about some award stuff that's happened since our last recording, but. I think that right now it probably probably like Lauren is probably the favorite for best supporting actress. I don't I don't think that means that J Lo couldn't beat her out, but I think that she does have a little bit more of the conversation and headspace right now. Uh, maybe because the movie just came out, maybe that'll change in January as awards uh, campaigns pick up, and of course, Hustlers will have its day with is it STX? I mean, they don't have as much money as Netflix to throw in an awards campaign, uh, but I think that they will put up a fight for for Hustlers and for J Lo. Uh, and then I think the other ones are, are, are a bit up in the air. They, it could be one of those could be one of those films that takes home a lot of Oscars or gets nominated a lot and only takes home. It's it's kind of token one, maybe two. But yeah. it's a fantastic film. All right, Scott, favorite scene or moment? I think I, I think you already said what it was, but we'll go ahead and let you say it again. Yeah, I mean, the opening, definitely. But then also the way that it comes back around at the end, I think yeah. it, it's satisfying. So that's what I'm going with. Yeah, I mean, again, just talking about that final scene when, when Charlie is reading it. And I think one of the one of the greatest parts about that scene too for me is that the fact that there's that the son there that the the child who I forget actually we haven't even talked about who plays the child is it um is it his name's Henry but Ozzy Robertson I just looked it up um and you know I think the fact that he does I don't even think he knows what he's reading and then you have Charlie having this 
overwhelming emotional response to what he's reading too. It's just yeah. an amazing moment. Uh, for me, it's that scene, that climactic scene with them in the, uh, between Nicole and Charlie in the apartment, uh, the shouting match. Um, it's one of those things where to your point, it's, it's so hard to watch. It's cringe because what they're saying, not that it doesn't feel real and that it, it but it's just so, it's so raw um, that, you know, you know, it's true. And you know it's how they feel. At the same time, you know as soon as it ends that they don't that they're going to say that they don't mean it because they don't. It's it's a flash of anger more than it is um, enduring resentment. And I think that it just comes to head in such a beautiful way for in that scene. Yeah. Well, and you know, if you want more of that, then watch Before Midnight because the scene is like three times as long in that movie, and it's brutal. Do you want to, that scene to be three times longer though? I'm not sure. No. No. <laughs> All right, Scott. Let's put a score on it. What are you giving Marriage Story? 8.8, uh, really strong film, um, definitely in my top 20, um, and a, you know, strong Oscar contender, some really powerhouse scenes, just a couple of, of minor things that I had qualms with, and also you know, just the overall not being as enjoyable as other films. Nowhere near as unenjoyable as The Revenant, though, from a few years ago with Anyari 2 and Leo DiCaprio can't, getting can't his Oscar. I that, but yeah, well. I've never seen it, but... I hesitate to even recommend that movie to someone because yeah. it's, so, it's so brutal to watch. Yeah. Uh, obviously, fantastic film. Uh, and Yari, too. One of my favorite, if not my favorite director. But yeah, Scott, I won't disappoint you. It's a 10 for me. Marriage Story gets a 10. It's my first 10 of the year. Uh, hopefully, it's not my last 10 of the shouldn't year. shouldn't have taken you this long, but I'm happy. Maybe it shouldn't have. I don't know. Um, I think that's a, that's probably a fair thing to say, but uh, Avengers Endgame didn't get a 10, and nothing's been better than Avengers Endgame until this for me, so... All right, well, that should do it for our discussion of Marriage Story. Let's take a short break when we return. Like we like promised, we'll be talking a little bit more about awards season so far, talking about the Gotham Awards, the National Board of Review, and the New York Film Critics Circle Awards. And then we'll be talking a few trailers, too. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, we promised that we'd talk a little bit of awards chat since I believe last time we we skipped out because there wasn't really anything new uh, to discuss. But in the past week, we've had the Gotham Awards happen, so a full award show, kind of the first award show to kick off award season. And then two kind of outlets to uh, sites, the National Board of Review and the, the New York Film Critics Circle. Uh, has released their award winners for the year as well. I think the key takeaways here are really uh, Marriage Story was the big winner at the Gotham Awards. It won Best Feature Film. It also won for Best Actor for Adam Driver. And then also Noah Baumbach got Best Screenplay, uh, winning over Lulu Wang uh, and Ari Aster uh, as well um, for that. So, you know, a big, big winner in Marriage Story there. Uh, it also won the Audience Award at the Gotham Awards. So clearly people really liking it, especially at an indie film uh, kind of uh, awards as well. So beating out a lot of a lot of other, you know, kind of indie darlings, so to speak. So I think that, that was a big statement for Marriage Story. And then the National Border Review and the New York uh, Film Critics Circle, I believe that both outlets gave The Irishman their best film of the year. So kind of big waves already happening for Netflix, uh, even bigger than last year, where we thought last year might be their breakout year with Roma. But then Parasite winning Best Foreign Film at the National Board of Review. Uh, I don't know if there's an equivalent. Oh, there is Best Foreign Language Film. So Parasite won that at the New York Films 
Critics Circle as well. And I'm just looking through one more time. I don't think that there is a foreign film award for the Gotham Awards. No, there's not. Uh, so yeah, so you know, Parasite again, kind of confirming what we already knew at both of these kind of outlets as you know, it really is probably the front runner over something like uh, Pain and Glory or Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, and, well, and- okay, is Portrait of a Lady on Fire actually nominated? Because I thought that it wasn't going to be up until next year because it's not getting a wide release until February. I don't. So I don't know about its eligibility for yeah. for Oscars, I guess. But it, anyway, I mean, it was given the award by the or sorry, it was nominated by the National. OK, Board. well, then it probably is eligible. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, David Ehrlich, I guess, reviewed it earlier this year. And it's one of his favorite uh, a lot of people year. I've reviewed it because it came at Cannes because it yeah. debuted at Cannes. Okay, yeah. yeah, 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 that's true. Um, but anyway, so a, lo- a lot of action there. You know, I don't know if you have anything that you want to specifically call out from these awards. But I think the big takeaway so far is. Netflix is, is looking good this this season. Yeah, I just, you know, talking of Parasite, I think I, I just do wonder if the foreign thing is going to be any sort of bar to getting an actual Best Picture nomination. You would like to think no after Roma last year. But, you know, Roma was also a Netflix movie, maybe easier for Academy members to see. But Parasite, you know, crushed at the box office considering the type of film that it was and what, you know, the projections were for Parasite. Second highest Uh grossing indie movie of the year behind Peanut Butter Falcon. And everyone is enjoying this movie. Like there, I I can count on one hand the number of people who have not loved this movie. Count on one finger. Roxy Stryer. (laughs) <laughs> Roxy Stryer is the only one. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. so I think it has a good shot. I'm really rooting for it to get in there. And I, I mean, I, it would be awesome to even see a win. Yeah, it would be fantastic to to see it get in there. I think that's that's the biggest struggle this year because there are so many fantastic pictures uh, that are just going to be in contention for a nomination. Uh, I think Parasite is absolutely uh, a worthy competitor and should be nominated in my opinion. I, you know... The Oscars always let you down, though, so it's just a matter of how much they will let you down. I think some of the other things to talk about, Scott, are a couple of movies that we haven't seen is, of course, Roger Deakins getting a lot of love for his work on 1917. You know, he finally won that first uh, Best Cinematography Oscar last year, and it seems like he might be, you know, we'll wait wait and see, but he might be the frontrunner this year as well. Uh, And in a a year where I think there's been some great cinematography as well, so uh, that's good news. I think two people who are going to go at it in screenplay is Quentin Tarantino and I'm oh, sorry, excuse me, and Noah Baumbach. You know, to your point that we were talking about earlier, I think that's they're both original screenplays. I believe. I don't think that's adapted. I don't think Once Upon a Time is adapted, right? No, no, no. Yeah, so they're both original screenplays. Yeah. Certainly not adapted from real life. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are. It's adapted from real life, just not just yeah, adapted yeah, to become not real life. Lot, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, so I think they're going to go at it. I think that's one of the key takeaways here because you have Noah Baumbach winning at the Gotham Awards. Of course, Tarantino not nominated at the Gotham Awards. Uh, but then, of course, Tarantino getting that best screenplay nod from the New York Film Critics Circle. And I don't... Do they have a screenplay award for... Oh, they do. The Safdie brothers getting it for Uncut Gems from uh, from the from the National Board of Rebuke. And, and that's, that's one of the things that surprised me as well is how much love Uncut Gems is getting. And of course, Adam Sandler, I mentioned earlier in the show, winning the Best Actor uh, kind of award from the National Board of Review and then also the Safdie Brothers getting that Best Screenplay that I was talking about. I, I'm just kind of a little bit surprised. And I'm like I mentioned earlier in the show, I'm seeing this tonight at the time of recording. And so I'll see what all the hype is about. But I will say, Every time I see this trailer, I get more excited about this movie. Uh, again, neither of us have seen it yet, so it's kind of hard to give our our take on it. But are you surprised by how much love this movie is getting? Um, 
Maybe a little bit, but I, I got to be honest. I'm on team Jeff Snyder when it comes to this movie. I don't think this movie has a chance at Oscars and at winning any Oscars. I, it Maybe it gets a screenplay nomination. Maybe Sandler gets a nomination, but it's not going to win anything. I think just everything that I've seen and heard about this movie is that it is that it is not, you know, the traditional type of movie that a lot of Oscar voters are going to see or is going to, you know, connect with uh, Oscar voters. It's 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 a little bit too out there, I think. And the Safties haven't been nominated for any of their past films. Um, they've only done a couple films before, I think. I think there's been a few, but uh, oh. re regardless, um, they they haven't gotten any nominations before. I, I don't see this movie being any different. Honestly, I think this is kind of if we're talking about a twenty four. I think this is probably down more with like Midsommar and in what a twenty four is shopping for awards because they know they know what is going to attract the voters and it's the movies like the farewell and waves it's not the lighthouse or midsummer or uncut gems so um yeah I mean, uncut gems may be having a slightly better chance in there but uncut I still, gems has a better chance than midsummer yeah yes, I, no absolutely yeah, yeah I, I agree with that but it's still a slim chance i would say yeah i think that I mean, we'll see how it shakes out, but I think that this movie might be might end up higher on A24's list of movies to push above Waves. I mean, we, we will see. Waves did get, I don't know if it actually won anything, but it got nominated for Best Feature at the Gotham Awards, which again, not it's the Gotham Awards. Right? It's an independent film award show. It would be shocking if Waves got a Best Picture nomination. Um, less shocking if The Farewell got a nomination. I, I hope that it does. You know, it's not it's not in my top ten, but I can totally I will I would be happy with that movie getting a nomination. And yes, of course, uh, you know, I think that Waves got a little bit of love in some of the acting categories as well from the Gothams, but I could be wrong as I scroll through the list. It did not get any love, actually. I take it back. Um, but no, the cast in that one, Kelvin Harrison Jr., Taylor Russell, Sterling K. Brown, all of them are fantastic uh in that movie. And I just think that Adam Sandler, like like it or not, Adam Sandler's brand is stronger and might therefore be pushed harder by a 24 for awards. And, you know, the Safdie brothers, obviously very indie type of directors here. Not that Trey Edward Schultz is any different. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there's a, there's category one to, you know, if we, if we use kind of what you were talking about here, category one, the farewell, a 24's best shot at awards this year, hundred percent. Totally. It will be pushing Aquafina, you know, Lulu Wang, the film as a whole, the screenplay, I'm surprised we haven't heard more conversation about the grandmother for best supporting actress. Yeah, maybe that. Zhao, yeah, yeah, Xuzhen Zhao. Maybe that will be reignited as award season kind of begins and the campaigns really kick off here. Uh, but I'm, I think that by far the best chance uh, for A24. And then I think after that is Uncut Gems. I think Uncut Gems has a better chance of getting pushed than Waves. Okay, but closer, probably closer together than a Lighthouse or a Midsommar. Obviously, I know how near and dear Midsommar is to your heart, but light, the Lighthouse and Midsommar. I don't think they're going to be pushing in them at all, really. No. Uh, and talking about shoes and Zhao, you, you know, I th I think back to Marina de Tavira getting nominated kind of out of nowhere last year for Roma. Yeah. No one expected her to sneak in there for yeah. um, for best supporting actress. I think shoes and Zhao has a better chance than Marina de Tavira, you know, yeah. did last year. And you know, again, in another foreign film, I think the Oscars going to be looking for diversity. I think I I actually do think she'll end up getting a nomination. And, you know, I think that's very deserving too, and especially in and we're talking about best supporting actress, and you know, it it's been a, like that whole category has been a nothing burger for the last two years because it's been Allison Janney for Itania, lock lockdown, Money in the Bank, 
and Regina King. Like, no mm-hmm. conversation whatsoever around who's going to win those awards the last couple of years. And so I think it'd be really cool to have a, a competitive Best Supporting Actress category. I still don't know if that's going to be the case, but... Uh, it would I don't nice. think it's so clear that Laura Dern is the best person in this category. I don't think it is, but maybe maybe between Laura Dern and Jennifer Lopez. Like, though, it may just be... But but there's still some suspense there. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, well, at least we won't be like... I don't know, flipping the TV while the Best Supporting Actress Award is yes, awarded. Which is usually like the first one who's going to win it. Out, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anything else from these award shows that you want to talk about before we flip over and talk trailers? Um, nothing really that uh, jumps out to me. You know, you mentioned how disparate, disparate the Best Actor race has been, and I think uh, that will continue to be the case. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, because I don't think, did Joaquin Phoenix, he didn't win any of these, right? No. So to be fair, the National Board of View in the film critic circle, they don't give nominees. They only give okay. winners. Uh, but the well, actually, maybe the National Board. Well, the National Board lists their top 10 films, their top foreign films, their right. top documentaries, and their top indies. But they don't list nominees for any of their acting or performances yeah. or anything like that. So we don't know how close Joaquin was in contention. And he didn't get nominated at the Gotham Awards, obviously, because it's not an independent film. Uh, but yeah, so I guess the short answer to your question is Joaquin's a bit of a question mark. At the same time, I still think he is one of the front runners in this category. So yeah. that just shows you how competitive it, I, it it is. I think the fact that you have three different winners or whatever you have, yeah. plus you have somebody who is maybe the front runner for the Oscar. That is what didn't even win any of these. So I think this is going to be the maybe the acting race to watch this year. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's been best actress. I think the last couple of years has been the kind of mm-hmm. the one to watch and the one to speculate the most about. And I totally agree that I think it's kind of flipped this year to best actor. One of the things that I've heard a lot of talk about on FYC um, over at Collider, you know, Collider Arclight kind of uh, co-sponsored thing is the fact the lack of diversity that exists kind of in the Oscar race this year. And I think you, you see that a little bit less something like the Gotham Awards because you have the farewell uncut gym, or sorry, not uncut gems, waves and hustlers all being nominated for best feature alongside uncut gems and marriage story and then you have someone like an uh aldous hodge from clemency Clemency, and andre holland from high flying bird uh in the best actor nominations who will not see the light of day at the oscars no um and then aquafina winning best actress but even there uh, having alfrey woodard as well from clemency i think that you know you have a little bit more representation here so the Gotham Awards kind of belie the lack of diversity. I mean, is that something that you're concerned about going into the Globes and the Oscars, which is kind of kind of the bigger award shows, so to speak? Um, yeah, I mean, it's always a concern, right? Because of um, you know the Oscars history. I think this is this is a problem that yeah, they Oscars have had. so white. Yeah, um, and I, I, you know, I th- I think it's going to continue to be a problem. I think that this is something that has to be fixed from the top down first. Um, you know, there has to be more, more of a systemic change before we will actually see a lot more integration um, in these categories. Um, and so, you know, we've talked about a couple. We've talked about Susan Zhao, maybe as as an example of someone. Um, there are a, a few African American actors who are swirling around the conversation. I, I don't, mean, Queen and Queen and Slim is like flying completely under the radar in yeah. the awards conversations. I don't think that any of the actors from Parasite have a chance, which is kind of um, yeah. Too bad. Maybe the maybe maybe is it the mom? From yeah. I uh, have a yeah, chance, but yeah, or the dad. I, I don't, I don't know, but um, yeah. but you know, they, there were a lot of excellent performances in that movie. Um, but li- like I said, I think we're going to see a lot of you know white nominees this year, um, just because that's still the state of you know 
actors today in 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 movies and so there's going to have to be more of a change before we actually um see that it reflected in the awards and even more so for directors i mean that's the one thing that i was thinking the most about is like besides melina matsukas like who even else is in the conversation well, for besides Lulu I mean, wang greta gerwig well i'm talking oh, so that's a you're talking about race. i was thinking about race no that's a, that's a good but, point. but i mean and especially in the best director context like being a female, that's that is diversity in the best director. No, absolutely, hundred percent. Females never get nominated. Well, Greta have we even Gerwig. had a best director winner for, who's female yet? Yeah, Catherine Bigelow. Oh, right for um, Dear Dark Thirty. She won for no, yeah. uh, no for the Hurt Locker. Um, oh yeah, yeah, but yeah. So I mean, I, and Greta Gerwig has been nominated before. For I mean, she was nominated for best director for Lady Bird. So um, I think she maybe has the best chance of the female directors to get in there. Maybe Mary more Heller. so than Lulu Wang. You think? Lulu Wang or Mariel Heller maybe um, have have outside chances, but I think I do think Greta Gerwig has the best chance just because I think Little Women is another movie that is very close to being a lot for Best Picture nomination for me. At really? Least. Yeah. Interesting. The, I mean, this is the type of thing that the, that Oscar voters will eat up. Yeah. Period and, piece. And, and again, yeah. you have I mean, everyone involved with this movie has been nominated for or, or is, you know, Oscar winners. You have Saoirse Ronan, but it has been nominated four times for Academy Awards. Four Meryl Streep, Laura, Laura Dern, uh, Emma Watson. OK, you, you know what I mean? Like literally yeah. not everyone. There's no movie like that that exists. But Gre you have Greta Gerwig. Hey, mar behind marriage the, story. <laughs> I mean, marriage you story, have yeah. Greta Gerwig behind the camera who again has been nominated. I think this movie, yeah. that movie will be in the conversation for best picture. And I think that Greta Gerwig is in the conversation for best director. I only say that because I think marriage story, literally everyone involved has, has an Academy Award nomination. I mean, I don't know about Ray Liotta actually, but yeah, I guess maybe I could for Goodfellas, probably for Goodfellas, but I mean, maybe not. I don't know. Did Pesci get a nomination for Goodfellas? Pesci won for Goodfellas. All right. He did. Uh, speaking, I think that's actually the last thing is the Irishman. I mean, we talked about them being a good uh, kind of a front runner here for, across a lot of categories. But Joe Pesci beating out Al Pacino, uh, getting getting the best supporting actor nomination from not nomination, sorry, the award from I believe it was the New York Film Critics Circle because uh, Brad Pitt got it from the National Board of Review. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it, like I've heard a lot of talk about like Al Pacino being favorites over Joe Pesci. I know you and I both felt Joe Pesci was better than Al Pacino. Uh, in the Irishman, at least I think that's what you said. I, I yeah, definitely no, felt that way. It, it is, but I think that I do agree that Pacino has a better chance just because it's the showier performance. I think, and I think that's what the, is going to attract the Oscar voters more. Do you think that they either of them can really beat Brad Pitt? Uh, yes, I do. I mean, I think Pacino has a good chance. You so you think he's the favorite, or do you think Brad Pitt's still the favorite? I don't know. That's a close. It might be a toss up, honestly, between the two of them for me. Yeah. I think a lot of it will depend on. I know. I know the uh, maybe the Academy doesn't work this way, but a lot of it might depend on if Quentin Tarantino is going to win Best Director. Yeah, that's true. I mean, or I mean, we have to talk about too. Is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood going to win Best Picture? I think it has a chance. I don't think that has a chance, but that's just me. I mean, I, I love the film. It's in, easily in my top ten. I mean, I, I still think I think The Irishman is the favorite for Best Picture, but I no, would not be surprised again with Marriage Story or. Yeah. Um, or Once Upon a Time, or even Jojo Rabbit, if the if those won. Well, The Irishman would certainly be better than Green Book winning Best Picture. Yes. All right, Scott, I think that should do it. Let's switch over to trailers here. We actually have a few. We weren't sure we'd have any, and then all of a sudden, we have three. We haven't talked about a trailer in a minute, but let's start with Black Widow. You know, some of the footage in this trailer come, is some of the footage that they showed, I believe, at Comic-Con behind closed doors uh, that they did not release ever. But Scott, first look at Scarlett Johansson's return after her death spoilers uh in avengers endgame but more importantly maybe the first look at florence Pugh as 
a different Black Widow as of Rachel Vice as another different Black Widow, and then David Harbor as the Red Soldier. I can't remember what his name is. That's probably not right. Um, but what did you think of this trailer? Yeah, this looks fine. Um, it, it looks it has some you know Winter Soldier vibes to it, which I like. It, it feels like more of a spy movie than it does a superhero movie. Mainly because there aren't really many superpowers that are at play here uh, when you're talking like Red about Red Sparrow. Black looks like Red Sparrow to me. It does. It looks a little. Uh, yeah, there are some Red Sparrow vibes. I guess the main thing that I'm intrigued by, like you said, is is Florence Pugh doing you know her imitation of, as we joked, of Jodie Comer from Killing Eve. But um, I think I will be interested to see where this character goes because there is a lot of talk that she might be the next Black Widow, given that um, Scar, as you mentioned, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, is dead rest in peace um maybe and no one's and, ever yeah. really gone <laughs> true um we're we're mixing up our our franchises now our but, Disney um, franchise. Those are yes those. um but so that that is the that is the thing about this movie that is interesting interest interesting me the most mainly because i don't see this movie necessarily having a lot of implications for the larger mcu since it is a prequel um I, I think the I, only implication that it could have is it, setting up Florence Pugh. Right. As Black it, exactly. So that's the thing that intrigues me because, you know, I, I'm back interested in what the quote unquote end game is for, for Marvel and, you know, the next slate of movies, especially considering this is their first movie in phase four. I mean, and they're, and they're yeah. rewinding to some speak, like, you know, do I believe that 95 plus percent of this movie is going to be set between like where they say it's set between civil war and, uh, I forget what film calls Civil War at this point, honestly. Is it Doctor Strange? I don't even remember. Um, Sounds right. Between those two films. We'll say between Civil War and Infinity War. Uh, you know, it's set between those two films at some point. And I think that I believe that 95 plus percent of this movie is going to be set then. But th some part of this movie is going to be set after Spider-Man Far From Home. Like, it doesn't matter if it's just a post credit scene. Something is going to be relevant to the new phase of movies something's going to tie in there yeah it'd be a really weird move to have your first movie uh in phase four not at all be set in the time period of phase four so maybe something's may going to relate yeah maybe we'll get something following up on what we saw with nick fury at the end of, of far from home that yeah that might be my guess i don't know yeah may, may, maybe some conversation maybe he's back he's still on that spaceship and and talking mm -hmm. to florence Pierce or something like that uh, i don't know we'll see we'll see when the movie comes out i really liked the trailer um, I also, it didn't, it didn't necessarily wow me, which was honestly kind of the case for our next show that we'll talk about as well, but it's exactly kind of the flavor that I wanted. Um, and it's also David Harbour's character's name is the red guardian, not the red soldier. Mm. Um, but yeah, the red guardian. I think that it'll be interesting to see what more footage we get ahead of this film. Cause obviously this movie doesn't come out until may. So there's a lot of time left to, to give us a little bit more of a taste of what we're going to be getting. All right, Scott, another movie that's coming out kind of in the May time period, although I believe this is actually in April, and that is our first trailer for No Time to Die, uh, Daniel Craig's final James Bond movie, maybe, probably. He, apparently, he gave yes, a farewell it speech. It definitely is this time. I mean, he's been talking about not doing this character for three movies, so who the hell knows um, if he'll ever pop up again in the Bond franchise. But it seems like the real deal this time. It's his send-off. Scott, are you any more excited after having seen this trailer about No Time to Die? I mean, it looks like a James Bond movie. It looks like, um, specifically a Daniel Craig James Bond yes, movie. Yes, it does. Um, to be honest with you, like, I was, just when I was watching the trailer, I was thinking, like, I saw Spectre. I don't think I could tell you a single thing about that film. Um, like, the minute I walked out of the theater, it was just gone from my mind. Uh, you I don't remember I, Mexico City, Day of the Dead? 
That's true. That opening scene, I do remember that. Now that you, now that you 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 mentioned it, that was a good scene. But um, but then like so, I I was thinking about it because you, of course, you see Leia Sedu popping up in this trailer. I had the same experience that you're about to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. As this character from the last movie, and I was like, no, was she in that person? Was <laughs> yeah, like, no, no exactly. I remember that she was in it, but I was like, who is this character? Like, what is their relationship? Like, how is this different from you know every single Bond girl? Like, because obviously that is a difference, right? That. She's popping up in multiple movies. We saw this with the Eva Green character, I believe. No, because well, she, 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 she died at the end of the She died. She um, died. Yeah. Never mind. Uh, but it's the we, only Bond. I think she's the only Bond girl to have ever survived a Bond movie. Yeah. Or, or um, I mean, like maybe not. Not not necessarily survive, but like to actually show up in the other movies. Yeah, yeah, that's because a, that's like a, a lot of times it. it's just like, oh, they had this fling, and then we're just going to pretend like it never happened. We're retconning that part, and we're moving on to the next adventure. So I will be interested to see how they explore that, because Bond's like relationship dynamics has never been something that has been explored, really, and that, except for like you know when he was married and on Her Majesty's Secret Service, but that was in the 60s. So um, that that's going to be interesting, especially because we also have this Ana de Armas character who is going to be in the movie. Yeah, who's a CIA agent. She's not the Bond girl, but... Yeah, right. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of factors at play here. You know, we have Rami Malek as the villain who we yeah. didn't get a ton from in this trailer. And what He's we got... Mr. Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, what what we got, I don't know. He, he seems not that distinct from some of the recent villains. Like, I did think about Javier Bardem's character I'll a little bit. G- generic guy who is facial scars. Yeah. Yeah. So, we'll see. This trailer didn't really get me excited, but, like... I don't need trailers anymore, honestly, for James Bond movies. Cause no. like, I know when it's a Daniel Craig movie, like we've had several of these, like, I know what I'm going to get. It's probably going to be, you know, pretty solid. Um, well, so, it's an odd number of Daniel Craig Bond movies. So it's actually probably going to be pretty good. Yeah. Right, Royale that's true. And Skyfall. True. So, I mean that like, uh, you know, th- that whether there was a trailer or not, didn't really affect how I feel about the movie. And, you know, that's how I feel after watching it. Yeah, and also Fukunaga directing. I think that's, I mean, that's a super interesting one as well. I'm still not, I'm the reason that I am kind of excited about getting trailers for this is that I'm not really sure what a Fukunaga Bond movie uh, looks like in some ways. And so I'm kind of, I'm very intrigued about what that's finally going to wrap up like. Cause if it had been Danny Boyle, I would have felt like I really knew what I was going to get out of, out of that. But the fact that he's no, he's not a part of this project anymore and it is Kerry Joji Fukunaga, uh, that's, that's really interesting uh, t- to me. And so, I agree that the longer cast of characters, I'm feeling different ways about them so far. But one of the ones you didn't mention, of course, and that we talked about a lot earlier in the year was Lashana Lynch and the prospect that she's going to take over as the future 007. She, we know we get her in this trailer. She's already a 00 and has been for two years. But is this a character that, one, do you think they're going to hand off the the franchise, so to speak? You can't call it the Bond franchise if she's the one that takes over, but the 007 franchise to her. Or do you think this is a bit of a red herring and she's just going to play an important role and maybe being a recurring supporting character in future movies to to tie a through line to? Yeah, I really don't know. I mean, because, yes, we get a look at her. We get a look at the fact that she's another agent. But we have had other agents in the past. We've had these characters popping up uh, in James Bond movies in the past. We've had, I mean, obviously he turned out to be a villain, but like Sean Bean's character, for example, in um, GoldenEye. Um, and, you know, th- throughout the the Bond franchise, there have been other 00 agents who have popped up. But, you know, with where we are right now in terms of diversity and representation in movies, um, maybe so. Maybe this is, you know, going to be the bold step that they take next for the 
the Bond franchise is making Lashana Lynch Bond. Uh, but I think, you know, the important thing here is to really establish this character and get people behind this character in this movie so that yeah. if that is ultimately what, you know, ends up happening, people aren't going to have a lot of backlash about it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? I think that, well, one thing that I, I forget who it was that was saying this, but I think it was someone on Movie Talk. It might have been Perry. It might have been someone else. But the Broccoli's have never planned the next Bond movie, except for maybe Quantum of Solace, ahead of releasing the the previous one. Mm-hmm. And so they're very much the kind of producers over at Eon that are going to listen to fan reaction to the film. And if people like Lashana Lynch, she probably will end up being the next double O uh, that, that, cent- that the franchise is centered on. But if they don't, They'll probably scrap the whole thing and, and and cast someone new in a more traditional role. So, you know, they're a very particular type of producer that I think is very responsive to what the fans are feeling about the films. And I think it's the whole reason why, you know, they went a completely different direction with Skyfall from Quantum of Solace. And rightly so, right? Quantum of Solace is not a very good movie. Uh, but Skyfall, fantastic film. And then, you know, they're in, I guess in the in the Daniel Craig timeline, this is this one, this No Time to Die is set five years after the events of Spectre, but we do get returning characters. Like, we're going to get Christoph Waltz's Blofeld. We're going to get Madeline, you know, the Leia Sadu, Dr. Madeline Swan character in some aspect. But a lot of time has passed, and so I'm interested to see how important these characters are going to end up being for the overall arc of the story, and if they can do it well, because both of these characters were very underwhelming um, from Spectre. As much as I think I still liked that movie, I did forget a lot about it, and these characters weren't memorable as memorable as Christoph Waltz is as an actor. He somehow wasn't very memorable as Blofeld. And so if, if there's a, if this is characters playing kind of a Hannibal Lecter role, so to speak, if that is the kind of role that he ends up playing in this film, I think it could be very interesting. And I'm not sure that they're going to do it well because they didn't do it well in the last film. We will see. It's, I mean, it will fall in the director as you've noted. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Final trailer, Scott, uh, a Disney live action remake. And you know how we love our Disney live action remakes over here at Some Like It Scott. And maybe we're changing our colors on this one because uh, it's a first full length trailer for Mulan. We did get a teaser earlier this year and we talked about it on the podcast over the summer. But Scott, the first full length trailer, no, you know, no uh, mood. No, is it Muju? Mushu. Mushu. There we go. Mushu. Jesus. <laughs> uh, no Mushu, no songs, but a lot to love. Yeah. I mean, Look, I was count me among the biggest skeptics about this remake because I love Mulan is one of my favorite animated movies, period, of all time. Um, And it has some of the best songs in the Disney, um, you know, in in the Disney animated universe. Um, Mushu is, is a great character. Eddie Murphy added a lot to that character. So I... You know, it's always that tug of war of like, we want them to do something different, but no, not this. Um, And and I think a lot of it comes from what, you know, what are your favorites? And because Mulan is like one of my favorites, I tend to be more on the side of like, don't mess it. Don't don't do that much with it. Whereas something like, um, you know, The Lion King or Aladdin, which like I like the movies, but I'm not like obsessed with them. uh, I was like, come on, let's see something different here. Um, In one case, we got it. One case, we didn't. But um, I really enjoyed this trailer for Mulan uh, in spite of all of that. Um, I think that I really like the, you know, sort of darker direction they're going with um, really making this into a kind of a war film um, because obviously that is extremely important to the plot, but you still have, um, you know, 
Donny Osmond singing songs and stuff in the animated one. Like, you know, you're, you're not really confronting the harsh realities of war. And I don't think you're going to be confronting the harsh realities of war necessarily in this movie, but more so than you might expect. And uh, I think the tone of the movie looks, looks, you know, right. Like very, very serious, which I think yeah. is what you want for what they're going for. Some of the performances look, um, you know, like they're going to be fun. Um, we got Donnie Yen in there, um, Jet Li. Uh, and yeah, the, the action, I think, is probably going to be very well choreographed. And the music, you know, even though we're not getting the songs, we did get to hear some a little bit of reflection in the yeah. um, trailer, just an instrumental version, which I thought was was very good. So that I'm very encouraged by this trailer and looking forward to this movie as maybe this will be, you know, the Disney live action remake as much as we enjoyed Aladdin and, and I enjoyed Aladdin a lot. Um, yeah. Maybe this will be the one that's finally like truly venturing into different territory in a successful way. Right. Cause Dumbo, I think did venture into very different territory, but it was just a terrible movie. Uh, yeah, no, this trailer is really interesting of the three. If you gave me the list of trailers we were going to get, I would not have told you that the Milan trailer would be the one that I was most positive about. And it is. It absolutely is. And I think that you're right. Uh, are we going to be confronting the harsh realities of war in Mulan? Probably not. But, it, you know, in some ways, one of the things to get positive about is that this looks like The Last Samurai, but there's not a white savior complex to this film. Hey, but The Last Samurai is a great movie. That's all I'll say. Yeah, but it's been canceled. I'm sorry. It's cancel culture. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I think I'm really excited about this, about this one. And I'm with you. Maybe this will be the Disney live action remake that pushes through the the three, three and a half star barrier into something higher because even Aladdin, I think I might even end up giving it four stars, but I think, I mean, it still was the high end of the three and a half star range, I think. And I think Milan has a lot of potential if they, if they pull it all together. Yeah, no, me, me too. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. All right, Scott, that should do it for episode 68 of some like it, Scott. Do you have any parting thoughts to leave us with today? Tennessee volunteers are going bowling. Uh, basketball team's looking good. Uh, I will be in attendance next Saturday for the big game against Memphis. So very looking forward to yelling at Penny Hardaway for about two hours. It's going to be a lot of fun. Rest up your voice. Yes, uh, I will be doing that. Where can people find you on Twitter so you can yell but not use your voice? Yeah, I'm at Scarby Dent. And by the way, another thing I want to add um, watch the Schmodown spectacular because it was, it was spectacular. Um, yeah. Somehow even at five and a half hours, I wanted more uh, from the spectacular. We, we will have champs lunch coming soon with um, a, a recap of what went on in the spectacular and, you know, some, se some season ending stuff. Cause that was the finale to season six, but um, go watch the spectacular. Even if you, you know, falling behind on the Schmodown or something, um, or if you've never seen the Schmodown, check it out because it's extremely it's a great coming on point. A lot happened. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot of fun, uh, and I'm really looking forward to next season. Yeah, and it's where you can get every type of match in one place. Exactly, yes. Yeah. All right, Scott, where can people find you on Twitter? At Scarby Dent. And I'm at – oh, I already asked that, didn't I? Whoops. Oh, it's well. fine. I, I got off on a tangent. So. All good. Yeah, I asked you your parting thoughts, and then I asked you your Twitter handle, and then you say your parting thoughts. No, <laughs> All right, I can be found at, at shelton2013 over on Twitter, where you can also find our podcast at, at MediaPugPods. We'd love it even more, however, if you checked us out on our podcast Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash MediaPugPods. There are a bunch of different reward tiers over there, depending on how much you're willing or able to pledge, and we'd appreciate it so much, even if you only contributed at that $1 level. Again, www.patreon.com slash MediaPugPods, and you can check it out for yourself. Pick the tier that's right for you. If you choose not to support us over on Patreon, however, that's totally fine. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, on Podbean, on Spotify, pretty much anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And we'd appreciate it if you rated and reviewed us as well as subscribed and shared so that we can continue to reach a broader 
audience. All right, I've said enough. We really appreciate all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies. And we'll be back next week with our review of Clint Eastwood's dramatization of some of the events surrounding the Centennial Olympic Park bombing at the 1996 Summer Olympics in Atlanta, Georgia. Richard Jewell. Until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you.